So this morning, as Jake starts a new sermon series that we are calling The God I Wish You Knew, we thought it might be interested to hear some comments about that God. So watch this as Jake comes and prepares. In the whole world, who is the one person you wish you knew? God. Michael Jackson. John Cena. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Who do you think God is? Mm, I think God is amazing, and I think he's a great person now that he's made, like, since he's made my dad and my grandparents and my parents and my sister. Who is God to you? God is everyone because we're created in his image. What about Jesus makes you happy? He made my family and he made me. Um, how big do you think God is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? He's just like a spirit. I mean, he's not an actual size. What do you think God can make with Play-Doh? Anything he, he wants? He can, he can make he can make a church. A church. Like, from the end of the universe, all the way to the end. Think he's male or female? I guess he's a mommy and a daddy, since he created us, but at the same time he gave birth to us, so. Which is bigger, God or Texas? God. God. <laughs> Good. Good answer, guys. What if he has a wife? God. <laughs> What's your favorite memory of your mom? Or your dad? My favorite moment, or my favorite memory with my dad would have to be when I was like in like first grade or something, and we used to live down by DeSoto, was that it? Yeah, and we'd walk to this farmer's market right up next to my school. It's like, and we used to get candy corn there and just like sit on the road or the curb or something and eat candy corn. <laughs> Does God love you? Yes. yes. I think he does. God loves me like how a father would love a child. Good morning, church. We are starting a new series, and it's a series that I'm really excited about. It's called The God That I Wish You Knew. And I think that this series is going to be really important for us to think about and to talk about together because we all have a view of God, don't we? We all have this understanding that we come to when it comes to God. And many of us, that comes from different experiences in our lives, from different people who have taught us things about God. Maybe it comes from scripture for you. And so as we think about this idea of this God that I wish that you knew, the God maybe that you wish that I knew, uh, this is such a great thing for us to think about because God is present among us and we are trying to be more and more like him. And so it's helpful for us to think about just who this God is. Uh, and so as I was getting ready for this series, I loved getting to talk with these kids yesterday. And I'm so thankful uh, for, for the parents who were involved in that. And I hope that we'll get to do a couple more of those videos as this series continues. But uh, not only was I so thankful to get to do that, but I also got to talk to several of you. Uh, I asked 10 of the people in this room what they think about God. And the interesting thing about that was I got responses all over the board. Uh, I asked people to limit it to about five things, five names or identities of God. And I got back 36 different responses. Uh, we all have different ideas and understandings of God. And maybe that lines up with different experiences that we've had in our lives. Maybe it lines up with things that we've been taught. Well, no matter what it is, 
This is the same God that we come to worship each and every Sunday morning, and hopefully throughout the rest of our week as well. And so uh, as we get going this morning, I want us to be thinking about just who this God is. Uh, But before we really identify the the one name that I want us to think about this morning, uh, I want us to think about the context in which Jesus lived, in which the early church began and grew. Because I think that it will be helpful for us as we begin to think about this idea of the God that I wish you knew, to understand that the, the God that they knew during that time Maybe, was, uh, maybe they had a similar idea as we do today, but maybe they also had different ideas. So the culture that Jesus would have uh, walked and lived and taught in, the culture that Paul and the early church planners would have, would have been engaging with, they had very different ideas and understandings of God. Uh, they, they viewed gods as many, as plethora, as gods for, for not just uh, the, the entire world, but gods for each individual specific action. So there was a god for, for, for the sun, for sunlight, because it was so important for the people that if they worshiped this God, the sun would come up the next morning, that that God wouldn't forget to do his job, that he would provide light, heat, warmth, that he would help the crops to grow. So they worshiped the God of the sun. They worshiped the God of rain, the God of the, of the home, the hearth, the God of love, the God of war. They worshiped gods for everything because they thought that it was so important to worship and to make sure that everyone knew that they were worshiping gods. When we think about our own culture today, uh, our, our culture is moving into this post-religious, uh, post-modern uh, worldview, right? And, and so people today, they, they don't, maybe they don't view God the same way that, that they did 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Maybe they don't view God the same way that we in this room do because we're moving past this idea of, this, of organized religion and of, and of worshiping a God. But let me tell you that everybody worships something. Everybody, whether they know it, whether they uh, acknowledge it or not, they're worshiping something. They're moving their lives towards something. And for many of us, that idea of God looks different. So as we think about our culture, as we think about our world, we might not be worshiping this one God that Jesus taught about. We might not be worshiping the God that Paul planted churches to worship. But our culture is worshiping gods. It might not be the church and it might not be what, what it was 50 years ago, but we're all worshiping. You see, it's interesting because uh, we're moving past this religious atmosphere, but spirituality is, is on the rise. People are, are more spiritual, they're, they're engaged in spiritual things more often than they might even think about. Because spirituality is growing, it's important to different people, even though church might not be important, even though that this God that we worship might not be important to them, spirituality is on the rise And so it makes for this very interesting atmosphere, this very interesting climate, where you've got people who are worshiping, but they're not worshiping the God that we worship. Maybe they're worshiping uh, uh, science or reason. Maybe they're worshiping, uh, through spirituality, their own course, their own knowledge, their own information. Maybe they're worshiping the arts. Everybody is worshiping something, though. And it's into this context that, that our church is trying, is trying to live and trying to be a good neighbor and trying to love one another in. We just wrapped up a series uh, that we called Reinvent where we talked about this idea of the mission and vision of our church. And if you remember back to what the vision says is that we're going to love God, we're going to love other people, and we're going to love our world. And that can be a difficult thing for us to do sometimes. That can be something that challenges us at times. And so this morning, I want, to, I want us to think about what is it, just who is this God that we're worshiping, and how do we do that well? 
And so thinking about that vision and thinking about the passage of Scripture that that comes out of, uh, it comes out of Matthew chapter 22. And so I want us to briefly read that passage really quick because I think it will help frame the rest of our discussion this morning. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 22. We'll spend just a little bit of time there, and then we'll move on uh, to Romans chapter 8. This is Jesus when he's asked about what the greatest commandment is. What's the one thing that you have to do to be a good religious person or to follow God? This is what Jesus says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So chances are, if you grew up in church, or if you grew up around church, you've probably heard this passage before, right? It's something that we've been talking a lot about over the past couple of weeks. It's something that we've mentioned, that that Chuck has preached about. Uh, But it's such an important passage, because it sets up exactly what Jesus is trying to let us know about about himself. Because this God that we wish we knew, the God that I wish you knew, the God that maybe we wish our culture knew, is a God who wants us to love one another. It's a God who wants us to love not only uh, the things that we do when we gather together, but he wants us to actually spend time loving God and loving others. And this is so important for for our church, uh, for Christianity, for for the people in this room, and for the people in our communities, because we only love others well when we get this, when we understand that this is the God that we're worshiping. It's a God, as we find out in 1 John chapter 4, that it's a God that loved us first. We love because he loved us. And so when we think about all these different names and identities, as we think about the different things that we've been taught and learned about who God is as we've followed him over the years, it's important for us to put this on the table. That if we're going to love this God, and if we're going to love one another, we need to know just who it is that we're trying to love. So I asked uh, 10 of you in this room, what is it that you think about God? What are the names that come to mind? What's the identity of God that comes to mind? And one of the great things about that question is I got back 36 different responses, 36 different names. Uh, Of those, several of them were repeated once. Uh, Two people said a couple of those names. One time, three people said a single name. But then there was one that eight out of the ten said. And no other name got near as much attention as this one name. It's the idea that God is our Father. Do you connect with that? When you hear that, does that line up with your story? Does God seem like a father to you, like a parent, like a loving parent who who provides and cares for you? Because 8 out of 10 of the people that I asked said that it was. It's by far the majority, uh, it's the image that we reach for, that we use in prayer more often than any other. We just, in the last series that we did, we prayed the Lord's Prayer every week. And how does that prayer start? Our Father. This is the image that we reach for, that, we, that we've been taught, that we grasp for most often. Because it's, a, it's an image that is so important to our faith and to our understanding of who God is. In Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us a, a little bit of a, of a teaching. He gives us a little bit of, uh, of, of important knowledge that we need to know about just who this God is. Uh, he actually uh, is teaching the, the, the church in Rome, a church that he's never met before. And he has these words to say about God. It's, it's found in Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 14. He says that all who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. And I want you to notice that word, led. Because Paul is not just, is not just talking to this church that has no previous knowledge or history of the people of God. He's actually drawing on images from the Old Testament, the, the Exodus, 
He's drawing the same word that the people are led, and he's connecting that with the event of the Exodus, when God took the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he took them to freedom. And so he wants the people to have that in mind as he continues on in this passage. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you that you are adopted as his children. And with this spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The same spirit agrees with our spirit, that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, and if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. The whole creation waits with breathless anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Paul is drawing on this image of God as father, but not just God as father, but that we are God's children, his sons and his daughters. And this is uh, something probably that you've heard before, something that uh, is probably not new uh, to you, but it's so important. Because in that day and time, you didn't pass on your legacy by leaving uh, an impact, by receiving an award, by being famous. You didn't have a Wikipedia page that, that let the people after you know what your life was about. The way that you let people know who you were was through your children, your heirs, the people who continued on your legacy. And Paul says that for God, that's us. We are God's heirs, his legacy. The, we are the way that the rest of the world will come to know who this God is, is through us, through our actions, through the way that we respond to other people, through the way that we love other people. And so for Paul, he's not just saying uh, that your you're children, your heirs, and that's going to be that you're going to get a great inheritance. But he's actually giving us work to do. He's actually saying, you're heirs. Now go show people who this God is that you wish that they knew. Show, show the people of the world who this God is that you worship. Paul's giving them a job to do. And I love what he goes on to say a little bit later on in the chapter in verses 31 and 32. He says, so what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? You know, as you think about this idea of God as father, there's a problem with that too, isn't there? Because today, God being a father doesn't necessarily mean that God is a good father. Uh, studies have shown on that fatherhood, that studies on fatherhood uh, are increasingly looking poor. That, that our fathers uh, in our country especially are abandoning children. Uh, the Washington Post did a study in 2014 where they found that one out of every four kids were born into a, a single parent family. And over 80% of those kids were born into a family with no father, where it was just the mother raising the kids. You see, our culture is a culture where, where fatherhood is not necessarily seen as a good thing. Where we come before uh, the different families that we've encountered, where, where maybe the family that you grew up in. And for you, that might not mean that your father is a good person. Maybe your father is absent or neglectful or abusive. See, in our culture, it's so easy for us to say that God's a good father, but not everybody knows what that means. And so as we talk about this, as we think about who God is as a father, maybe what we need to say is that God is a father who's there for us, that God is a father who's actually willing to run out and meet us. And that brings us to the story that I want us to think about this morning. 
We're going to spend the majority of the rest of our time thinking about this story, and uh, you've probably heard this story before, the story of the prodigal son. Maybe that story should better be called the story of the faithful father. It comes in Luke chapter 15, and I want to read the majority of that story for us this morning because I think it's so important, especially in our culture and in our context, where fatherhood is not always a good thing, but it's a story about a God that we need to hear. So starting in chapter 15, verse 11, it says that Jesus uh, said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Basically, he's saying, uh, dad, I can't wait around for you to die forever. I need what I deserve now. Surprisingly, the father divides his estate between his two sons. And soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but here I am, starving to death? I'll get up and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his father said, then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. For we must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. You see, chances are you've heard this story, right? Chances are you know about this prodigal son who runs away from home, who tells his dad that he can't wait around for him to die, and he leaves and he squanders everything he has. But when we think about God as father, think about what the father does for this son. You see, the son has turned his back on his father. He's not only said that he wished his father would die, but he's actually gone off to a far country. And, he, and he, if you notice, he's, he's working with pigs. And that's something that no Jewish person would ever imagine that they would ever be doing. Because pigs were not a clean animal. They were unclean. And to spend time among pigs was, would be to make yourself unclean. And so uh, Jewish people, when they hear this story, they would think no one would ever do this. And if they did, they'd be turning their back on everything. They'd be turning their back on their faith, on their family, on everything that they've been raised to be like. And yet when the son decides to come back to the father. He brings all these excuses with him. But the father runs to him and meets him. And I love this idea of the father uh, looking out. He's a watchful father. He's a, he's a father who's looking out for his son to return. Uh, and when you think about the, the time uh, that this father is, is doing, I don't know how many of you have glasses or contacts. I have uh, contacts. And I can't see about four feet in front of me when I don't wear my contacts. Everything is, if I'm not wearing contacts, you guys better watch out on the roads. Uh, but this father is looking out for his son. And it says when he's a far way off, when he's a long way off, the father sees him and recognizes him. And I love that image. Because that means that the father knows what it looks like when the son is walking. That the father knows his son so well that he can tell even from a distance that it's him. 
You know, I don't know if the father has poor eyesight or not. Jesus is telling this story, so chances are he's probably got 20-20 vision. But this father is on the lookout, and he knows his children. He knows what it looks like when they're walking, even though he's a totally changed person, even though everything that's happened to him has been tearing him down and, and making him come back with all these excuses and, and this experience of life that's negative. The father knows who it is a long way off. Last year, uh, the elders and the staff read a book by Henry Nouwen, and it's a, it's a book about this story, uh, a book about a painting of this story, actually. And I love the, the way that Henry Nouwen, the author, talks about it, because he, he actually writes that each person goes through all three stages of this story, that sometimes we're the younger son, sometimes we're the older son who comes along later on in the story, but then eventually we all have the opportunity to be like the father, to look out to the people around us and to, to be on the lookout for them, to be watching for them, and then to run out and greet them. And one of the things that, that Nowen says uh, about this father, as he's, as he's looking after his two sons, as he's caring for them, is he says it this way. He says, the father wants simply to let them know that the love they have searched for in such distorted ways has been, is, and always will be there for them. And that's true of, of the God that we worship today, too. That we have gone to such distorted lengths to try and get pleasure, to try and worship the gods around us, to try, to try and receive knowledge, to try and fulfill ourselves. We've gone to such distorted lengths to do that. And yet this God that we worship has, does, and always will love us as a father. You see, going back to that passage in Romans, in, in verse 31 and 32, it says that God gave his son. But if you, if you notice... God and, the, and, the, and the God the Father and God the Son are one. The way that they interact with each other, they're so in tune with one another, they're actually one. And we talk about that in terms of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all being one God. See, when God the Son goes to the cross, it's not just God the Son. It's God himself. It's not just one part of God, but it's, it's God his very self going to the cross and sacrificing himself for us. This is the father who loved his children so much that he would go to such extraordinary lengths that he would even be willing to give of himself so that we could have life, so that we could be provided for, so that, uh, so that we could become his children, his heirs, the people who pass on his legacy, who tell the rest of the world what it looks like to love and follow this God. God is a God who gives freely. He's a God who's on the lookout, a God looking for the prodigal returning home. And so, as you're sitting in this room, maybe you're someone who's like the prodigal, who's turned their back on God or, or on family or, or, or maybe on your father. And if that's the case, this is a God that's on the lookout, who's watching for you, who knows what it looks like even when you're a far way off, and he runs to you, and he celebrates you coming back, and he throws a party for you. Maybe you're someone who grew up without a father. Maybe you're someone who grew up uh, with a very bad view of what a father is. And if that's the case, maybe what you need to most hear this morning is that this God is not like that father. That this is a father who is a good, good father, who, who wants to provide for you and care for you. And I love what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount uh, when he talks about if a son asks his father for bread, will he give him a stone? No. 
The father knows what the, what the son needs, what the child needs, and he will provide for him exactly what he needs. He won't give him a, a snake instead of a fish or a stone instead of bread. He's going to give you exactly what you need. And so maybe this morning you're thinking about your own experience, your own father. Uh, maybe you're, you are a father this morning, and you're thinking about your own children. This is a God who loves you. This is a God who cares for his children. And so regardless of what your experience is, it, what your experience is that's what you need to know this morning, is this is a God on the lookout for you. It's a God who wants to provide for you. Maybe this morning you're thinking about how blessed you are to have a good father, about what a gift it was to, to be raised in a great family. And if that's your story, if that's the case, then Jesus gives us work to do because we're heirs to God's promise. We're heirs, and that means that we share the love that God has for us with the rest of the world. You see, God as our father lines up exactly as it should because it's not just that he, he is a God who's going to give us things. If we sacrifice to this God, he's not just going to make sure that, uh, that we don't get tortured, that we don't uh, lose things, that we're not ignored. But he's actually a God who's, who's on the lookout, who's going to provide and going to take care of us. Henry Nouwen, uh, again in that book that we read as a staff, he writes these words. For most of my life, I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, to pray always, to work for others, to read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. And now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. God is the father who watches and waits for his children, who runs out to meet them, who embraces them, who pleads with them, who begs and urges them to come home. This is the truth of the God that we worship. This is the truth of the God that I wish you knew, that he will always run out to meet us, that he'll always be on the lookout for us, and that no matter what we try and do, no matter the excuses that we come up with throughout the course of our life, no matter the times that we've turned our back on him, he's always on the lookout for us, ready and willing to run out and greet us. And so as we continue this series, as we continue thinking about this God that we wish that you knew, as we continue thinking about how that intersects not only with ourselves but with the people around us in our community, it's important for us to know that God loves us. But not only that God loves us, but God gives us a job to do. We are heirs. We are God's children. We are the ones who, who continue on his legacy, who show the rest of the world what it means to be a good, good father or a good, good parent. And so this morning, our prayer team is going to gather around the room. Uh, as we think about who this God is that we worship, uh, maybe you, you've got something that you need to talk about, that you need prayer for. Maybe it's an experience in your own life of, of, of a parent who was absent or a parent who was neglectful. And if that's the case, I encourage you to go and pray with our prayer team during this time. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in song. Uh, Chuck and I will be down front. If you'd like, please come and meet this good, good father who's running out and willing to throw a party for you as we stand and worship.